And now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to a World AIDS Day special edition of Shout Out. I'm Ali Shorten. And I'm Ali Osborne. And today I'm here not only from Shout Out, but also from Bridgestow, as I'll be guiding you through today's show. We'll be hearing from Chiva, the Children's HIV Association, about growing up with HIV. And Emily will be telling us what it's like living with HIV, as well as being partnered and being a mum. All today, right here on Shout Out. So hello everyone, a very warm welcome to um, uh, World AIDS Day special with our lovely friend Alid. Hello mate, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Shout out, how are we? Lovely to have you back. So you've been keeping well during lockdown? Um, Busy, Busy. I presume. Yeah, this year is uh, HIV Christmas, isn't it? So I am being pulled everywhere, but all good busy, really, really good stuff and really exciting and stuff, but yeah, just busy. Cool, and lovely to have you back too, Rose. Reading news for us later too. Yes, Sounding very professional, I'm sure. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? Indeed, so, and uh, hello Steph and uh, other Andy and uh, Terry under the stairs somewhere. Evening all. Under the stairs, Terry, they call him. <laughs> My dear, that's where I live these days. <laughs> uh, Terry, who are you with uh, this evening? Oh. Um, I'm with Jordan Henderson from Liverpool Football Club. Um, he's just having a rub... <laughs> Having a rub down after okay. after a, after a particularly sweaty match. Just the uh, just the one person. I know it's rare for me actually, but I thought he could uh, do with all my attentions later. Ah, okay. Oh, <laughs> Honestly, something's never changed. Sorry, Alan. Oh. <laughs> Welcome back, mate. It's all right. I was quite in- enjoying that conversation. That sounds like a fabulous place to be if you're having a rub down. <laughs> Under now, the stairs um, with Terry. So are you? Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. World AIDS Day special. It's obviously quite a serious event, isn't it, Alex? Um, um, initially, I believe to bring 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 focus to um, quite a serious subject. So, I mean, can you give us some of the background? Do, do you know things like when it started and how and that kind of stuff at all? Yeah, so uh, World AIDS Day started in 1988, so it's been going for like 30 plus years now. Um, so yeah, 32 years it's been going on. I actually, on. I genuinely had no idea it was that old, I didn't realise it had been going that long. Yeah, um, and the, the red ribbon, which is the global kind of sign for HIV and AIDS, that was the first ribbon, so all of these medical awareness ribbons that we have now, the HIV ribbon is the first one that was ever invented and it was invented by a group of artists in New York um, who wanted to do something and the red is to represent kind of emotion and passion and anger at the time it's not actually represented of um, blood which some people may think I was going to say it's quite a common misconception that one isn't it 
It is, so, yeah. But um, it's um, yeah, it's a really important day, you know. So the first ever case of AIDS was diagnosed back in 1984, and since then, uh, HIV or an AIDS-related illness has killed over 35 million people globally. So it has been one of the most destructive pandemics we have had um of course people don't think that we're in the middle of a pandemic with covid now the two are actually kind of comparable because you know hiv has spread and these classes a pandemic on the same kind of level yeah, it's just it happened over a larger period of time people there don't are, see that impact yeah, do they and there are a, like there are real parallels that run across and for L- lgbt plus q plus people um you know this is the second pandemic that a lot of us have had to live with that has been quite just as destructive on our communities as the first one and also you know um when somebody catches covid um or acquires covid there is that element of kind of that blame culture well they must have been doing something wrong they must have not been following the rules and that is a very similar narrative to hiv and aids back in the Mm. day when people were acquiring that there's that blame like you you know the risks why are you having condomless sex why are you doing this why are you doing that so it is this feeling of kind of blame shame and putting people into this other box um so there are a a hell of a lot of uh parallels that run alongside both of the pandemics but we as a community as an lgbt plus community after living through one we're the experts and we'll come out of this one stronger and more together like like we did the first time indeed now i'm going to play devil's advocate i know the answers to this obviously i mean i've got friends like yourself and, and several others and being part of shout out for over 10 years is something we know quite well but playing devil's advocate a lot of people say it's a lot better these days surely why do we still need um um world aids day I would say it's exactly the same as why people ask you, why do we need pride? Um, So until everyone everywhere all across the world has the same access to treatment and to the education that we do in the UK, it is still needed. And it is, you know, we are still having new diagnosis. Um, So until we stop diagnosis, um, then we still have a fight to do. But I'd also say that kind of we live in space age times but with stone age minds so although the treatment has come on and medical advancements mean now that that people living with HIV are not dying we're living long we can't pass the virus on people can start families and positive men and women can have negative children the stigma and society is very much like still those tomb, those horrific tombstone ads of the 80s and one in three Gosh, people yes. living with HIV have faced stigma or, or discrimination in their time and people living with HIV are twice as likely to be diagnosed with depression as the general public so we still have a long way to go we still have a lot of education to do and facts that we need to tell and the story and telling the stories of what it's like living with HIV 
today in 2020. We are not suffering with HIV. If you saw me walking down the road, you wouldn't clock that I'm HIV positive. I don't look like that person Diana was shaking hands with. We are living positively with HIV. We are people who are living with HIV. Put the person first, not the condition. With you, Alan, I'm more likely to say, I'm sure I was drunk with him the other night. (laughs) (laughs) Very much. You'll probably clock that I'm a raging mo because, like, you know, I am a bit flouncy when I walk and I definitely have the homosexual's pace when I'm marching, you know. Um, But, um, which is a totally different pace of walking to Well, with the exception of COVID, regularly seen hosting quiz nights in places like the Bear Bar as well. I am. Now, we've got a couple of really nice... um, 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 clips coming up today, haven't we? Um, we we've got one we, where we're talking to. Um, um, I'm just trying to find on the script what they're called. Um, Cheever. Cheever, yeah. Uh, which is all yeah. about um, youngsters who were born with HIV. It was fascinating yes. to listen to. Yeah, so they're the children HIV. They're the Children's HIV Association. They're a national charity, but they're based in Bristol. Um, oh. So they're speaking to some young people who are living with HIV, who are born with HIV, and I always think at times they're missed out of the conversation. But they're the future, and they need to be included. Yeah. Cool. Well, we got that, and we have also got um, a very interesting piece from a lovely uh, lady called Emily. So stay with us. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. Shout out LGBT Radio for you. There you go from Rent. That that is uh, Seasons of Love. Yeah, it's a great song. And coming next, we have um, an amazing piece uh, from Chiva, the Children's HIV mm. Association, where one of their support workers are chatting to two of the young people they work with. So my name is Abby Carter, and I work as participation officer at Chiva in Bristol, the Children's HIV Association. And we work across the UK and Ireland with young people growing up with HIV. And I'm here today with Rachel and Aloma, and we're gonna have a bit of a chat about growing up with HIV and um, talk about big issues that they would like to share with you. So first of all, uh, Aloma, do you wanna tell me a bit about um, what it's like for a young person living with HIV? Hiya, um, I'm Aloma, uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm 21 years old. Um, I'm currently living with HIV and I've been living with it since I was a young child. Um, and I got HIV from my mother, which is a transmission method that a lot of people aren't familiar with and don't really understand um but it's much more common than uh the world seems to realize um yeah should i just talk about my childhood or yeah i mean tell us a bit about like when did you find out you had hiv how did that manifest for you um i was told of my status when i was 12 or 13 years old um and my doctor and my father told me about it uh-huh. um and they were like they were really good with it and they had a lot of facts for me but i still didn't uh i didn't have any representation and i didn't really have a good understanding of it so it took me quite a few years after that yeah. until i actually found chiva um to accept it 
to uh, really understand what it meant for me and how it wasn't going to um, mess with my life. It was just going to change my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I was told uh, in a way that a a young person can understand. It wasn't... um, it wasn't too graphic. It wasn't anything like that. But we did talk about sex and sex education quite a lot and mm. the details and like any questions that I had, I would bring to my doctor. But I had to keep it private from everyone else. Yeah. Um, and that's where the problems come in. That's where the stigma comes in. Mm. Because if something is a secret, then it feels like a bad thing. It yeah. feels like... Um, a dirty thing and it is considered a dirty thing by a lot of people Mm. so I had to work a lot on on unlearning that and Mm. meeting people who also have HIV and who were in the same boat as me um, was the most helpful thing it yeah it it taught me a lot Mm. thank you so moving over to you, Rachel, welcome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your, your story? Thank you so much, Abby. Hi, everyone. My name is um, Rachel. And just like Loma, I was born with HIV and I contracted it from birth through my mom. And, um, you know, when I found out about my HIV st- status, it was when I was 15 years old. That was like a year or two after I had lost my mother. So I I had lost both parents to HIV, but I still didn't think that I had HIV because I didn't really see any symptoms and I wasn't really getting sick or anything like that. But, you know, when I then moved to come and live in, in the UK with my sister, mm-hmm. um, she decided that we should all have a test because of just to be on the safe side because of how we'd lost our parents and um so when the results came out my brother and my sister were negative but then I came out as positive Mm. and for me it was very difficult to find out about my HIV status Mm. and you know it led me to depression Mm. led me into isolation and just like a llama again, where I was told not to tell anybody about my HIV status. And, you know, like even when I went to school, I couldn't have sleepovers at my friends' houses. Mm-hmm. I, couldn't, I couldn't really talk to anybody about it. So I was always in my own mind. Like instead of being a young person and free and chatting and making friends, I was usually always in my mind because I thought, you know, after trying to work so hard in school, trying to to make something out of my life and I just felt everything had gone to waste because mm. now I have HIV and I'm going to die soon because my parents are dead mm. and you know that yeah it just caused a lot of issues but you know um, when I was like 16 or 17 years old I then got introduced to Chiva and that was the first time I ever met young people living with HIV mm. and you know just seeing a different perspective of what HIV really is because initially HIV and what the world normally thinks about HIV is really negative and really bad and and yeah. it has all these dirty connotations and and you know going going to Chiva I got to understand really what HIV is how it affects our bodies how I can maintain it and 
I had to learn how to accept myself and yeah. many different things. And also to be a voice for young people that are living with HIV and to make sure that the people out there, the world out there gets the right information about the different ways people can contact HIV. Like it's not only through sex, but there's other ways as well that people can contact. And, you know, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not mm-hmm. the end of the world. It doesn't mean that I'm going to die just because I have HIV because I could go outside, like somebody, I have, let's say I have HIV and somebody else who doesn't have HIV, we could all go outside and they could get hit by a car and die and I could, I could survive. Like being HIV positive is not necessarily a negative thing, but it's yeah. just something we have to live with yeah. until we find a cure, <laughs> at least. Thank you for telling us about that. That's uh, a, lot of, a lot of hard things that you went through, well, both of you. Um, moving back to you, Aloma, what, how do you think we can stop the stigma? What, what can we do, like, particularly in the UK, do you think? Um, well, it starts with education and it starts where we all go, which is at school. And yeah. um, I think the main thing is to improve our sex education system yeah um it's it's been pretty terrible in the past i don't know what it's like at the moment but it's still not as inclusive as um correct um or as helpful as it could be we need to be talking about um stis uh sexually transmitted infections we need to be talking about them not in the sense of danger danger but in the sense of how do we live well and responsibly with these things Mm -hmm. and how do we treat the inevitable stis that people will throughout their life contract because it's not that it's not just hiv there's plenty of um other things that we need to talk about in terms of protection and well-being um and there's just so many things that we do live with um and struggle with you know um so i think that the education system needs to be improved Mm. and um the also the (laughs) the adult world also needs to be educated yeah and that's quite difficult because they're out of the school system um but they still need to be informed on what it's like uh, living with HIV or another STI Mm. because adults do deal with that. Mm. I come into contact with adults all the time who have no clue Mm. uh, about a lot of these things. And so I think that services for um, sexual well-being and sexual health um for young people and for adults definitely needs to be um resourced better and um funded better and i don't know that's where we need to put our focus into i think yeah absolutely thank you um i i just want to add one last thing which is that the stigma that we deal with is um a social a social thing so it's often just opinions and fears that have gotten into people's heads through stories, through anecdotes, through jokes, 
mm-hmm. um, through misinformation and they filter down into uh, people's lives and they they can really affect people who are living with uh, any kind of illness that's yeah. invisible. Yeah. Um, and it just, it takes a lot of work and a lot of education and patience yeah. to learn these things differently you know mm-hmm. yeah. brilliant thank you Rachel is there anything in particular you'd like to talk about any particular issues you want to flag before we uh, end the interview um so like you know if I can just refer back to the stigma mm-hmm. I feel that you know the stigma nowadays is a lot less than it was in the past and that's because you know Lately, there's been a lot of, you know, advocacy, there's been a lot of education, there's been a lot of talks, whether it's on social media, whether it's on projects that are, whether it's school projects, whether it's any other projects, helping to eliminate stigma by educating people. So I do feel that there has been some change in in terms of outside stigma and how people um, are starting to slowly accept it, you know, with also things such as U equals U, PrEP and PEP. And people are now a lot less stigmatizing people living with HIV compared to the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the main issues of stigma at the moment for people living with HIV is more self-stigma. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like in the, yes, people out there have pulled out wrong information about HIV and stuff, which is cause which has still caused which still causes fear Mm. for the young people living with hiv and that's why you know they need to to be educated themselves to know that you know like hiv doesn't define them but there's two things that i can point out that cause self-stigma first of all is like you know the idea of taking medication every day Mm. like you know it kind of feels like there's no hope for a cure until forever i know there's been talks about cure coming up and stuff but there hasn't been any progress regarding that but like if we look at other illnesses such as cancer we've heard people being cured from cancer whereas hiv is just talking about you know maintaining it and being undetectable but that doesn't mean you're healed from it it just means it's still there but you're just putting it under control and sometimes that could get really discouraging for some young people Mm. um another one is like religion like yeah. it's hard sometimes like come out and just say you know i have hiv my pastor or whatever because yeah. you know they see like like the outside world they see as you know you've committed a sinful act especially if you're a young person they'll think oh you had sex before marriage and that's a sin before god mm-hmm. and all that and i feel like we need more advocacy mm-hmm. in religious places so that you know, we feel protected in all areas. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I feel that the best way to tackle this self-stigma is through, because the stronger the support system young people have, or even adults, the stronger mm. the support system we have, the stronger our self-acceptance comes in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's certain times where people feel down or feel bad because I have HIV. But if you have people who believe in you, if you have people encouraging you, motivating you and being there for you, it mm. helps you kind of believe in yourself and just be like, you know what? H- I, I may be living with HIV, but I am not HIV and I can still achieve my dreams. I can still achieve my goals. And yeah. it can help you then 
progress in whatever area you want to be. So I feel like we need more support systems for young children, for young people. And, you know, like Aloma said, adults as well need to be educated. And, you know, obviously very few adults are in education. So it's very difficult to kind of learn about these things. But I would say that, now it comes to young people because young people are the future leaders of tomorrow and it's about equipping young people with the tools and the skills that they need to be able to go into their homes and start up these conversations with their parents and Mm -hmm. educate them and say yes in the past this is what used to happen this is how you guys saw hiv but you know speaking to your parents and helping them and learn those things and just sometimes the way you see yourself like let's say in terms of self-acceptance like it all starts with you like when you love yourself like every you nobody can love you unless you love yourself and you know stigma can stop if people look at you and you know you've accepted yourself you've loved yourself and and you carry yourself in in a way of self-acceptance the stigma no one's going to stigmatize you because you've accepted the fact that you know i am living with this but this is not me and even with parents as well if they see you if they see you living that life of, you know, I'm not going to be held back by this HIV, by this virus, then they'll begin to unlearn those things and be like, you know what? This child of mine has moved barriers that I never thought would be moved. And actually it's possible to live a life without stigma or without fear of judgment from other people. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's young people should be able to have the courage and the strength to start up these conversations and to show the adults that you know it is possible to live a free life and still achieve your goals and your dreams amazing thank you both so much thank you shout out lgbt radio for you This is Shout Out News on Thursday the 25th of November. Jan Morris, the travel writer, journalist and historian, has been mourned this week on her passing on at the age of 94. In 1972, Morris transitioned to female, telling the New York Times, it was inevitable. I'd been heading there mentally my whole life. Morris's career was stellar, according to The Guardian. She covered the story of the conquest of Mount Everest in 1953 by Edmund Hillary and Tenzig Norgay. She served the Allies during World War II, serving in the Army as an intelligence officer working in Palestine. And in 1956, her investigative journalism helped to expose the French military's secret involvement in the Suez conflict, a scandal that ultimately brought down both French and British governments of the day. Morris, who was born in 1926, always felt that there was a part missing from her male identity, and her transition in Casablanca in 1972 is recorded in her best-selling book, Conundrum. It was criticised in some literary quarters by transphobic figures, but the public loved it. 
Jan herself said that people in her hometown were totally supportive. I put it down to kindness, she told The Observer in 2020. Everything good in the world is kindness. Morris went on other journeys during her personal life too. She was born in Clevedon on the North Somerset coast, but lived her later life in North Wales, the land of her father's birth, where she embraced the ancient culture and literature of the country. She was elected to the Gorseth, the Welsh Cultural Institution, in 1992. In her later years, Jan also noted that she was always the person she was meant to be. My transition changed me far less than I thought it had, she remarked. Morris remained married to her wife Elizabeth, although they were forced to get a divorce from their heterosexual marriage and later had a civil partnership ceremony. Her son, Tum, announced their, her death on Friday. This morning at Usbutty Bryn Beryl on the Lean Peninsula in North Wales, the author and traveller Jan Morris began her greatest journey, he said. She leaves behind on the shore her lifelong partner, Elizabeth. Fair winds, Jan, from all of us here. That's Jan Morris, groundbreaking journalist, travel writer and trans woman who was passed on at the age of 94. Sarah Bates, writing for the leftist newspaper Socialist Worker this week, writes that misogyny within the police compounded the dislike of sex workers allowed the Yorkshire Ripper Peter Sutcliffe to get away with his murderous killing spree in the late 70s for so long. Sutcliffe has died at the age of 74, serving multiple life sentences. He was dubbed the Yorkshire Ripper after the notorious Jack the Ripper case which hit poorer parts of East London in 1888 and which still confounds criminologists today. Sarah Bates in her article contends that the prejudice against women sex workers allowed the Yorkshire Ripper to carry on as long as he did. Sutcliffe was arrested nine times but no charges were brought until his final detention. Bates writes, Jim Hodson, a senior West Yorkshire detective, told a press conference that the killer has made it clear that he hates prostitutes. Many people do. We as the police will continue to arrest prostitutes. But the Ripper is now killing innocent girls. Sir Michael Havers, Attorney General at the time, said in a speech at the trial, some were prostitutes, but perhaps the saddest part of the case is that some were not. The last six attacks were on totally respectable women. These attitudes, Bates argues, led to the 13 deaths of women and compounded the grief for bereaved families. She notes that the present Chief Constable of West Yorkshire Police offered an apology for police failings in the Yorkshire Ripper case, but says that it's not enough. Nina Lopez, a spokesperson for the English Collective of Prostitutes, a leading campaign group which supports the decriminalisation of prostitution, told The Independent the investigation into the Yorkshire Ripper case was blatantly biased, sexist, racist and anti-working class. Miss Lopez was involved in the English Collective of Prostitutes at the time of the Yorkshire Ripper trial. Now, we've been reminded by great projects such as Outstories Bristol that a milestone has been reached this month. On November the 5th, it was exactly 35 years since the first AIDS and HIV service organisation opened in the city of Bristol. The Allard's Richards Trust was established in the memory of Allard Richards, a legend of the early 1980s Bristol gay bar scene who was the first recognised Bristolian to pass on from an AIDS-related condition. Richards died on the 29th of January 1985 at a time when fear of the strange new illness was confounding the gay community and scientists alike and causing scare stories and wild speculation about transmission routes. The early weeks of the organisation were conducted under the name of Gay Men's Health Network in Avon, but in 1986 the Allard Richards name was taken. The initial location of the trust was in Mark Lane, then from 1989 on Colston Street, before in 1992 moving to its most iconic 
iconic location, Queen Anne House, an old coaching inn on West Street, Old Market. The presence of the trust at Old Market helped that area in its development as a recognisable gay village along the lines of Manchester and Birmingham's LGBTQ districts. In 2000, the ART merged with Terence Higgins Trust London to form THT West, but the name Alan Richards was kept alive by the naming of the building as the Alan Richards Centre. Today, the landscape of living with HIV is very different, but THT continue to offer services from London, including their helpline, and locally, the Brigstow Project continues to keep HIV and AIDS alive in the public eye. As we head towards World AIDS Day on the 1st of December, we salute all the team that have worked with ART, THT and Brigstow over the years. And finally, a special greeting to all our listeners in the United States and its independent and its dependent territories, as well as Brazil, where Thanksgiving falls this week. Its roots go back to the European harvest festivals and early colonization of Europeans. Sorry, by Europeans, sorry, by of the American continents. So it's not without its associations with zealotry and missions. Nevertheless, it is today widely accepted as a secular festival of feasting and gathering in groups, whether they be a circle of friends or a family. In the US, Thanksgiving is said by Wikipedia to mark the start of the holiday season, a period which includes the build-up to Christmas as well as other festivals such as Hanukkah. However, we are sure that many LGBTQ people will argue that Halloween, sometimes dubbed a gay Christmas, actually starts the season of parties, celebration and gift giving. Black Friday is the name given to the day after Thanksgiving and kicks off the official Christmas shopping season. It is in turn followed by Cyber Monday. Terry thinks this is when assorted cybergs like Cybermen or the Borg pop down to the moles to get their shopping done. But we suspect it is more likely that it's more likely to be named due to the online deals offered on that date. This year, many community radio stations have joined together to encourage people to support local artisans and independent shops. LGBTQ media are also encouraging members of our communities to consider LGBTQ-run businesses for your Christmas shopping this year. However, however you are marking it, happy Thanksgiving and welcome to the holiday season. For these news stories and more, check out our website at shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shoutout News, this has been Rose France and Terry Starr. Shoutout News, national and international LGBT news for you. Shout out. LGBT radio for you. Uh, one of your favourites there, I think, isn't it, Alad? Um, that's, uh, I'm still standing, Elton John. It most certainly is. Depends um, how many tequilas you've had, I guess, really, doesn't it? <laughs> Definitely. And obviously Elton John is a... He has the Elton John AIDS Foundation, so we had to play him in a yeah. World AIDS Day show. Yeah. Uh, Big fan, Big fan, yeah. Uh, so, coming up next, we're going to hear from an amazing young woman called Emily and her story of being a mum living with HIV. Hi. Is it okay if I take over your radio for a minute? It's just, I've got something to say. Thank you. This won't take long. Okay. So this is me. Hello, I'm Emily. I'm 32 years old. I'm British. I live in Bristol in a flat with my long-term partner and my three-year-old son. I have a bachelor's degree. I have a full-time job. I love keeping fit and I love socialising. At home, I'm a keen cook and I really enjoy a good movie. What I'm trying to say is that I'm a normal person. 
If you were to see me out and about, you wouldn't think me any different to anyone else. But there is something about me that you wouldn't know in passing, in meeting, or even in knowing. Have I got your attention? Because I'm going to say this dreaded thing. H. I. V. Yep. I am living with HIV. Now I've lived in a fair few house shares in my time, and HIV is by far the worst housemate I've ever lived with. Now some of you might be thinking, oh, poor soul. Some of you might even think, ew. Some of you might think, hey, what's HIV? News flash. HIV means human immunodeficiency virus. It is a virus that attacks a body's immune system that helps the body fight off infection. HIV is acquired most commonly through unprotected sex or sharing injection needles with a person who is infected with HIV and are not on treatment. Here is an amazing fact. If you are living with HIV and on effective treatment, then you cannot pass it on. Okay, so back to where I was. I know what you all want to ask. Oh, go on. Tell us. Tell us where you got it. Go on. Well, it's pretty simple, really. I had sex. Have you ever had sex? I bet I know the answer. I know we don't live in a nation of virgins, that's for sure. Tell me this. Did you use a condom every time? Don't worry, I know the answer. The point is this. It takes just one time. One time for HIV to get in and take hold. And the worst thing is HIV is a coward. It is very, very sneaky. It'll get into your body without you knowing, and it can stay there for years. You can't see it, you can't feel it. But the amazing thing is if you want to take responsibility for your health, then it, it really does pay off. If you decide to take action, get a test, catch that coward in the act, then we can stop it, stop it in its path. We now live in a time and a nation where we have everything we need to stop it. HIV doesn't need to be a problem anymore. That's right. Back in 1987, just a year before I was born, there were a group of people who stood up and shouted because they were dying. Well, what they did worked. It got them heard. It got medicine out there and people stopped dying. But even though people aren't dying anymore, doesn't mean it isn't a problem because it still is. Now in Bristol, there is well over a thousand people living with HIV and on effective treatment. Thank you to all those people for taking action and stopping HIV in its tracks. Now we know there's over a thousand on treatment. There's likely to be hundreds that still don't know their status. With the coronavirus presently sweeping through the world, we know that it just takes one person to pass a virus on. That one person becomes two people, that becomes six, that will become 10, so on and so on. So there's things we can do. Firstly, get a test. Wouldn't it be nice to have peace of mind? You don't have to be promiscuous, even if you're in a long-term relationship. Just get a test. If you're worried about it coming back positive, let me tell you this. You'll be okay. It's not going to change you. You got this. If it did come back positive and you're worried about telling your partner you're doing the right thing. If it does come back positive and you're worried about telling previous partners, you don't have to be. The clinic will take care of that for you if you want them to. If you've had a one night stand and are really worried, then get to the clinic or call your doctor. Ask about PEP. 
Like the morning after pill, there's a 72 hour window for it to be effective. But just remember, it won't stop other sexually transmitted infections, I'm afraid. If you're worried because you're promiscuous and that's just your lifestyle, then that's fine. Talk to your doctor about PrEP. That's PEP and PrEP. Two amazing drugs, look them up. If a test came back positive and you're worried about future relationships, then let me tell you this. You equals you. It's an amazing thing we're trying to get out there, trying to get heard. U equals U. It stands for undetectable equals untransmittable. It means that once you're on treatment and adhere to it, the level of HIV in your blood becomes undetectable. This in turn means that you cannot pass it on to a sexual partner and it's untransmittable. I'm living proof that this works. I live with my partner who is negative and we have a son who was born through a natural delivery. He is also negative. Wow, being responsible really does pay off. If you want to find out more about HIV, getting a test, or if a test has come back positive, or that you know someone else who's recently become positive, look for charities such as Brigstow or Terence Higgins Trust. They're here to help. If you've recently been diagnosed, then I know it can be a very lonely place. But the important thing to remember is that you're not alone. There's people like me out there who know what you're going through. Come and talk to us. To everyone out there listening, Will you help me stop HIV in its tracks? Thank you for listening. HIV zero, humanity one. For more information about Shoutout Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shoutout. LGBT radio for you. Uh, What's that? That's a crazy little thing called Love by Queen. Great track. Speaking of Queens... Hello, Steph. Hello, Andy. Hello, Rose. Uh-huh. Hello, Terry. Oh. <laughs> Are you saying we're all queens? How dare you? To be 100% honest, I think Alan in certain guys is outshines all of us. But <laughs> Alan, can I ask a couple of questions? Uh, but one of them is the, the tagline this year is Rock the Ribbon. And um, also, what have you got planned for actual uh, World AIDS Day? So uh, we got lots of plans. So rock the ribbon, yeah. If you've got a HIV red ribbon, then wear it. If you haven't got one, then on social media, on your Facebooks and your Twitters and your Instas, they have built-in banners that you can change. And they've always got some World AIDS Day one so change it on world aids day which is december the first um and then if you want to get involved come to our events we've got loads of panel discussions and virtual events and celebrations going on our full program and all the deets where you can register to attend is on our website so that's brookstow.org um I, we can't put our ribbons anywhere so and they used to raise hundreds of pounds for us so we're asking people to text us a donation as well the details of that are on our socials um, but if you just text BRIGWAD5 or BRIGWAD10 to 70085 that way you can donate 5 or 10 pounds uh, directly to Brigstow and that will just help us continuing to raise awareness and break the stigma Steffi renamed her ribbon it's called Rick 
She was messaging me earlier about the show notes. So I'm like, what's Rock the Ribbon? And she was like, well, Rick the Ribbon. <laughs> I'm like, who the hell's Rick? <laughs> yeah, well, I said that. Yeah, who is Rick? Does anybody know who Rick is? <laughs> Rick Astley? Yeah. Rick Wakeman? Rick and Morty? Which Rick is either Sorry. Fat Finger Syndrome on the typing, on the keys. I'm uh, saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, or, or the spell checker. Well, I was going to say, or, or is it, or is it those long fingernails? I don't have long fingernails. No, (laughs) mine are soft as hell, and they keep splitting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. That sounds really painful to be understood on this. <laughs> Split fingernails. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I it sounds like some emo band, doesn't it? And coming up next. <laughs> 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 you know, in appeal session from 1982. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's when your day goes to pieces because you've just broken a nail again. Oh, no. uh, I can safely say I've never had that happen. But then, then I what, you've never broken a nail? Me. Never broken a nail, no. no. Only the type that you hit with a hammer. That's slightly different. Wow, well, I'm impressed, Andrew. Impressive. Um, anyway, Stephanie, uh, that is it for another week. Um, as always, uh, catch up and find out more about Shoutouts. Uh, just check us out online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. And if you want to know any more about HIV or you want to talk to someone, then you can always contact us at The Brigstow Project or you can contact THT. Uh, next week is the Republic of Stokes Croft so um, join myself and the rest of the team for that but for now from myself from Rose from Steph from Andy from Alid and from Terry uh, say bye bye everyone bye 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 shout out LGBT radio for you